Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm humbled by what has happened and I renew my wholehearted apology for the gathering in the cabinet room on the 19th of June 2020. I can't say whether he'll be prime minister going into 2023, but I don't think that he will lead the party into the next general election. Why does the prime minister think everybody else's actions have consequences except his own? You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, as China celebrates the 25th anniversary of the Hong Kong handover, we will bring you our interview with Chris Patton, Britain's last ever governor. We'll also hear from Richard Hayes, who recently left Hong Kong after 10 years as a resident. Well, on today's programme, we're focusing on Hong Kong as China celebrates that anniversary of Britain handing back power to Beijing. Chinese President Xi Jinping visiting the city says that Hong Kong cannot become chaotic again. This as he attended the swearing-in of former police chief John Lee as Hong Kong's new chief executive, replacing Carrie Lam. Well, the UK government says that there's been a, quote, steady erosion of political and civil rights over the past few years, which saw a long period of mass pro-democracy protests. But President Xi claims governance is working well. The policy of one country, two systems, having been tested and proved time and again, meets the fundamental interests of the country and the Chinese nation. It has the unanimous endorsement of Hong Kong and Macau residents. So President Xi there speaking through a translator. Meanwhile, John Lee, chief executive of Hong Kong, says that the national security law has helped the city to avoid chaos. Underpinned by the rule of law, Hong Kong exemplifies a successful international city. The national security law saved Hong Kong from chaos, and the revamp of the electoral system has helped restore stability. So that was John Lee, the chief executive officer of Hong Kong, of course, speaking also through a translator. Well, let's get the latest on Hong Kong with Bloomberg's uh, Tom McKenzie, who spent many years uh, living in China. Now, Tom, uh, a hugely significant visit for the Chinese uh, president. His first uh, leaving the mainland uh, since uh, early uh, 2020 when COVID struck. What's your impression of, of, of what Xi was trying to, to say with this visit? It was very significant, absolutely. In the first visit, by the way, to Hong Kong by the Chinese president since 2017, it was a mark of, of course, what Hong Kong would describe as their relative success in containing COVID, even though there are still a number of cases in the city that the Chinese president felt he was comfortable to go and visit. But also, it really underscored what has happened, the transformation that's happened since those mass protests in 2019 and 2020, where you saw around 2 million people, so about a third of the population of 7 million in Hong Kong, take to the streets to call for greater democracy. Then you had the imposition of national security law, and now you have what China sees as stability and order in that city. All of those things, those two main things, then coming together to allow the Chinese president to visit Hong Kong for this anniversary. Again, 25 years since Lord Patton stood there, 
Tony Blair was the Prime Minister when the handover from the United Kingdom of Hong Kong to the Chinese. This was a deal worked out back in 1984 between Margaret Thatcher and then Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping. So that 25 years, the symbolism very significant in terms of this visit then. Yeah, Britain has been highly critical. Uh, you know that the, the system of uh, governance now in Hong Kong is is not working effectively. But she defended this idea of one country, two systems. Uh, also, we have a new chief executive taking over from Carrie Lam, and this is also somebody with a with a very strong defence and police background. Absolutely. Just to recap some of the comments then from President mm. Xi Jinping in this speech that he gave today, he talked about defended China's handling of Hong Kong in previous years and said that the one country, two systems framework is still viable. And just very briefly, that is a system where, in theory at least, Hong Kong has greater autonomy than mainland China. He says Hong Kong is moving from chaos to governance, again, a nod to the protests of 2019 and 2020. And he said the people of Hong Kong must respect the Communist Party of China. He also addressed some livelihood issues, said there needs to be bigger apartments, improved education, elderly care. And he said that needs to be balanced with an efficient, a highly efficient market. For many, people will read into that central contradictions, how Mm. you have an efficient and open market. Of course, Hong Kong was open and remains open to international finance, whilst also having a population that adheres to Communist Party ideology. And of course, a significant and objective erosion of freedoms around press, around assembly, and of course, any democracy activism. That contradiction will cause many to pour scepticism on these comments but China has wrestled with contradictions in its past and the Communist Party continues to do that, for example, with socialism with Chinese characteristics, allowing a market economy within a socialist and Marxist system. It's a fascinating place, isn't it? Tom, what what does the future hold for Hong Kong? In 1997, there was supposed to be a 50-year transition, wasn't there? It does feel that in the last few years, we've kind of rattled through that transition rather quicker than perhaps many people were expecting, uh, not least, of course, with that security law. Just talk us through what you think the future holds uh, for for the city, uh, particularly for its financial services sector. So so Carrie Lam has gone, the previous chief executive. We now have the new chief executive, as Caroline was saying, John Lee, the former policeman by the way, who led the charge by the police in containing uh, and uh, uh, ultimately uh, containing those protests, those mass protests, again, that have seen uh, democratically elected legislatures, members of the press, members of the activist community in Hong Kong jailed. He is now the head of, of this city. Uh, he very much, of course, and unsurprisingly, aligned uh, with President Xi Jinping. So you're going to have to get to a point where you have, again, an economy that, and a people that are adhering much more closely to Communist Party ideology, whilst also remaining open to that international finance. At a time, of course, and you touched on this, Ewan, the brain drain that we have seen, and it's been you've seen that in the data in terms of the numbers of people moving, not just to the UK and Australia and the US, but also to places like Singapore as well, and deep concern within the international business community in Hong Kong about what these the national security law means for their operations and for their staff on the ground. So again, those pressures and those contradictions are something we'll have to see and how they play out. And again, the wider context being the tensions between Beijing and Washington and how exposed that leaves Hong Kong. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I suppose um, we should really circle back to a final thought on, on COVID because, you know, unlike Europe and the US, China has sort of experienced the, the big lockdowns and the kind of ratcheting up of cases, obviously not not comparable to the US and, and Europe, but its own ratcheting up of cases much more recently 
now there is a reopening and it's that thought about how quickly perhaps that's going to happen. Is that is this a sing- signal from President Xi about what may come? That we've been div- divided messages on that. Yeah, we, we, we definitely, it is all, all, always difficult to, to pass exactly what the thinking is of, of the Communist Party of, of China on major issues. You get that around the economy, you certainly get that around COVID zero. One consistency that I would point you back to is President Xi Jinping himself underscoring this signature policy around COVID zero and what he sees as the centrality of that and how it is uniquely set up to help China and that China needs to stick with COVID zero. So yes, we have seen a reduction in terms of quarantine for inbound travellers. That Mm -hmm. is significant, a halving of that. And that will be certainly of some relief, not just the people of China, but also the business community there as well. It is something certainly the economists and strategists say you need to keep a close eye on in terms of the prospects for that economy is how quickly they ease up on COVID zero. I don't see a significant easing up anytime soon, but we will watch to see what changes happen around the edges. Of course, this is an economy that is under significant pressure. They hope to grow by five and a half percent by the end of this year. The vast majority of economists think they are going to miss that by a long margin. COVID still very much a story in uh, Hong Kong and in China. Thanks so much for joining us. That's uh, Bloomberg's Tom McKenzie. Okay, well, let's move on uh, and hear a little bit from Bloomberg opinion columnist Matthew Brooker. He covers finance and politics for us in Asia. And in fact, he's been based in Asia for many years. He's also the former deputy business editor for the South China Morning Post. Matthew has spent years in Hong Kong and he made this report for Bloomberg Quick Take about his farewell to the city. I've lived in Hong Kong since 1992, and I'm now planning on leaving. Hong Kong has changed irrevocably. It's not going to go back to what it was, and we've seen the best days. And, um, you know, it has accentuated that feeling that this is the right time to go. So I do remember the scaffolding on Nathan Road with all the neon at night. It was very, very atmospheric. And it just reminded me so much of Blade Runner. Hong Kong was such a freewheeling, you know, free society. People really have no filter in, like, how they express themselves. When you look at the media, as it used to be, very kind of vigorous. So this is Chunking Mansions. This is the first place I came to when I got off the plane. It's the place to come, or certainly used to be, if you want a fake Rolex watch or a cheap curry or indeed a cheap dormitory bed. Just really hasn't changed at all. (laughs) So to my memory anyway, I think one of the striking things about Hong Kong is just how you have these extremes of wealth. You've got chunking mansions, which is, you know, one end of the scale and you literally cross the road and you go to the most august grand hotel in Hong Kong. First time I came to the peninsula was when I was sent here to interview James Tian, a local business figure and politician. His secretary said to me, he'll meet you in the peninsula. And I said, where's that? And his secretary laughed at me and said, you're working in Hong Kong and you don't know where the peninsula is. So that was my first visit here. I didn't realize I had been living opposite it when I, after I first arrived in Hong Kong, but in a quite different environment. Hong Kong, when I arrived here, was in the middle of a massive economic boom. The, the city was sort of brimming over with nervous anxiety, that everyone was in a hurry to make money, to get foreign passports, to, to, to move out, or you know at least have a route out. 
Well, of course, there's the handover itself from 97. You know, the sovereignty had changed. It was now part of China again. Life just really kind of carried on as normal. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, Chris Patton was the last British governor of Hong Kong and he remembers standing in the rain with Prince Charles as they watched the British flag being lowered all the way back in 1997. 25 years on from that handover, he now fears for the city's future as an international financial hub as uh, Beijing and its reforms continue. These are concerns that he has voiced a number of times. Well, in an interview with Bloomberg's Stephen Engel, Chris Patton also addressed the criticism that he faced for introducing direct elections just before China took over in 1997. Take a listen. Well, I think it's perfectly true um, that uh, the Chinese communist leadership in Beijing um, has always wanted Hong Kong without Hong Kongers. And I think it's tragic that so many um, good, decent, honest people have left Hong Kong. I'm pleased that we've been able to provide them uh, with a home here in the UK, over 100,000 in the last um, a few months, um, and that uh, they've also gone to Canada and Australia and the United States. Why have they been, been leaving? They see uh, their future um, clouded by the fact that their children will have um, a different sort of education, one in which engineering the soul um, plays uh, the most important part rather than educating children. Uh, they have uh, to live in a society in which the rule of law is constantly uh, undermined and under threat. They have, in effect, all the makings of a sort of neo-police state. Now, I read as much of your new book as possible over the weekend. Uh, it's more than 500 pages, but 475 pages in, you talk about the destruction of Hong Kong. So I'm gathering the last few years, the last three years under Carrie Lam, uh, it, it has sealed the fate of Hong Kong, or do you feel it can still uh, resurrect itself as an international finance center? Well, it's, it's a real um, challenge. Um, I, I wrote an essay at the end about what had happened since 1997, uh, taking account of the fact that for a 10 years, 12 years maybe, um, things went pretty well in Hong Kong, not perfectly, um, but uh, uh, the real problem has been since President Xi Jinping um, has been a dictator in Beijing, and I think he regards the things that Hong Kong has always stood for as an existential threat to communist control. I'm asked again and again by, by young Hong Kongers whether they should come back to Hong Kong. I've asked my families whether they should come back, um, and uh, it's, it's not an easy answer to give. You can't really expect people to be braver than, uh, than I would be. You, of course, in your five years running up to 1997, did uh, introduce very controversial uh, electoral reforms to, to put uh, the selection of, of lawmakers in the hands of Hong Kongers. In, on reflection, do, do you take any kind of blame for igniting something in Hong Kong that wasn't there before, that, that led to a politicization of this city? No, I think it's a terrible bit of patronizing to think that um, uh, people in Hong Kong didn't know anything about democracy, didn't know anything about running their own affairs, didn't know anything about, real, about due process, 
about uh, fair judicial system and so on, um, that we impose those thoughts on them. It's absolutely ludicrous. Um, and people in Hong Kong, increasingly well-educated, uh, increasingly prosperous, seeing what was happening in other places, in Taiwan, in South Korea, and elsewhere in Asia, and they couldn't see why they shouldn't have much the same. Lord Patton, I want to end on just giving you an opportunity to maybe reflect on, on what you remembered most of that night, that stormy night. W was there a sense of foreboding? I know when you got on the boat, the Britannia, you, 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 you talked about feeling relief, but also happiness. I hoped for the best. Um, you couldn't leave um, thinking anything but that. But by and large, apart from some interference, things went on reasonably well. I think it's just in the last 10 years or so that, that things have taken a, a turn for the worse, as I think they have in China uh, overall. But my, my overall feelings when I left Hong Kong were um, deep sadness at leaving friends and the place where I'd been happier than ever I've been in my life. And my family had been happy, happier than we'd ever been in our lives. Um, Hong Kong mattered a huge amount to me. I was extremely lucky um, to... Uh, uh, have the opportunity of, of serving the people of Hong Kong. I'll never forget how kind they were to me. I'll never forget how good the civil service uh, were, um, full of honourable and decent and hard-working people. The whole community um, was like a Rolls Royce, and it, it, it should have just been allowed to go on purring away. So that was Chris Patton, the last British governor of Hong Kong, speaking to Bloomberg's Stephen Engel. Of course, Patton was in Hong Kong between 1992 then to 1997 when the handover took place. And he's written a new book about it, the Hong Kong Diaries, that he was mentioning when he spoke to Stephen Engel. Yeah, a big day for Hong Kong today as President Xi visits his first trip away from the mainland since COVID struck two and a half years ago. But Hong Kong has seen an exodus of foreign residents in recent months, sparking fears of a brain drain from the financial hub. We've been speaking to Richard Hayes, who spent the last decade in the city, most recently working at Citibank. But he's one of those who left recently frustrated by the strict COVID travel rules. He described what working and living in Hong Kong was like. Well, hi, good morning, and th thanks for having me on the show. Uh, look, I, I, I did and still do love Hong Kong, uh, certainly pre-COVID, pre-lockdown. Um, it, it really was a fantastic place to be in, in terms of both um, uh, working and, to, to be honest, life in general. Um, it was very convenient to, to live there, to get to the office. Travel was easy in terms of both business and uh Pleasure, you know, Hong Kong as a city is um, uh, certainly, a, again, pre-lockdown, pre incredibly vibrant, uh, wonderful dining scene, etc. So uh, it, it, very enjoyable. And I, I lived there for, uh, for 10 years or have been living there for, for 10 years. You're part, though, of a wave of people who've left the city. Why did you choose to leave? So I retired. You know, I've been in the industry uh, 33 years. And um, I think the time was right. My plan was very much to stay in Hong Kong and um, and travel and take advantage of everything that Hong Kong um, can deliver when it's open and running. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate also to have residences in a number of other countries. So the plan was to base in Hong Kong and then travel pretty extensively. That was uh, obviously pretty quickly shut down by, uh, literally, by uh, the arrival of COVID and everything that's happened since. 
you know, how obviously this was a very different picture, how China and Hong Kong dealt with COVID versus European countries. I mean, do you feel that that it was well handled or I suppose, what do you think about the COVID zero policy of China? Yes. I mean, I, look, I, I think it's extreme, and I'm presently sitting in the UK, having just spent nearly two months in Europe, um, in both France and Spain, where life is, for all intents and purposes, totally normal in uh, in, in Europe at present. So I think, you know, with that as a backdrop, it's not difficult to say that COVID zero is um problematic or certainly brings challenges. Yeah, we're, we're talking to you as, as the 25th anniversary is being marked of the British handover of Hong Kong to China. Mm. You know, the, even before the pandemic, there were other events that were happening in Hong Kong. There were the student protests, which would have changed the atmosphere in the city. And I'm wondering, for those people that you're still in contact with who live there, how, how do they view the future of Hong Kong now? Yeah, look, I think, you know, we have to remember, you know, right back, to the handover, we, we, we knew that we had fine, you know, one country, two systems. But but China was taking back Hong Kong. It was a fifty-year process, so I think it was fairly inevitable, fairly obvious from from day one that Hong Kong was only going to become, as it were, more like many of the other very large Chinese cities. Um, so I don't think one should be overly surprised with many of the things that have, have happened. And I would say, you know, reflecting on um, the time I spent there, and I'm certainly looking forward to going back and spending more time there, day to day for somebody who is, a, you know, a law-abiding citizen, Hong Kong is still a, a very, very enjoyable and a good place to be. It is more Chinese than it was 25 years ago, but I don't think that should come as a surprise to anybody. Um, in terms of doing business uh, in Hong Kong, I mean, there is a concern about whether Hong Kong, uh, as you say, if it becomes more Chinese, can remain the sort of international global city that it has been thus far. What's your view on that? Yes, I think I think that's a very interesting point. And, and I think everybody is watching very carefully what is going on um, in terms of the, the legal system, I think at present Hong Kong's um, absolute um, defining um, um, benefit, as it were, it, it is the sort of rule of law and and the, the, the law, legal system there, which is basically based on British law, which does allow businesses to, to operate in a in a sort of Western way, which I think is uh, an imperative. Without that, I, I, I think it does become just another Chinese city. And on that basis, you would see significant moves of people either to other offshore locations, Singapore being the most obvious, or you just go onshore and be in Shanghai or be in Beijing if you were unconcerned with challenges that came from operating under a Chinese legal system. So I think watching what's going on in the law courts is is very important. And if, if the rule of law remains, Hong Kong, I think, will be okay. And I think there will be a bounce back as when and if, but let's assume it does happen, um, COVID restrictions are eventually lifted. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.